0: Alrighty, everybody. I am excited to talk about constitutional law today, and specifically, we're going to be focusing on state interstate commerce. And so we've talked about interstate commerce in the traditional, the most common sense, where Congress has the ability to regulate commerce, but when it comes to state interstate commerce, these cases are going to focus a lot of time on how states do not have the authority to regulate interstate commerce. And the reason why this is such a big kind of deal is because, well, the Constitution doesn't say anything about whether or not states can regulate interstate commerce. It's quiet on the matter. It doesn't say a thing at all. And so you could apply if it's quiet, well, then states potentially could regulate interstate commerce but that's not the case because that was one of the big reasons why there was the constitution in the first place was to keep states from ultimately taxing other states in a way that you could tax other states is by regulating interstate commerce. So this whole principle is going to be called the dormant commerce clause. And the word dormant there is because it's quiet, but it's still related to the commerce clause any violations that states have of interstate commerce it's going to be a violation of the Commerce Clause. Uh, there is an exception to that that we'll get to later. Um, but ultimately, here's how this is going to work. First, I want to say why uh, the states, uh, why the courts have said that there's no state interstate commerce. And then we're going to talk about how that has been applied. Uh, there's going to be facially discriminatory statutes. Those are statutes that openly say... Uh, well that openly regulate interstate commerce and then there's gonna be facially neutral statutes but those facially neutral statutes still have the effect on interstate commerce and we're gonna talk about the different tests that are applied to each of those throughout these cases so that's gonna be our bit of an overview so let's go ahead and start with why courts have said that states are not allowed to regulate interstate commerce Uh, first The courts want to keep states from engaging in a principle called protectionism. Uh, Protectionism is when the states have a desire to create interstate boundaries so that they protect themselves from external forces. Uh, For instance, a state says, we don't want these things coming in here and messing with our people, so we want to keep them out. That is called uh, protectionism. And the courts want to avoid that because ultimately... It leads to the second point, which is the courts want to encourage national unity, and protectionism discourages national unity. And then finally, the third reason why the courts have said states can't regulate interstate commerce is because Gibbons versus Ogden says that interstate commerce, that power, belongs to Congress. Congress is the only one who has the power to regulate interstate commerce, and as a result, states are not able to. So let's go ahead and talk about facially discriminatory statutes. Well, there, when there is a facially discriminatory statute, as was the case in the city of Philadelphia versus New Jersey, and just to illustrate what a facially discriminatory statute looks like, uh, New Jersey had passed a law in this instance where they said, other states are not able to bring st- uh, trash into New Jersey. We're going to use our landfill. Uh, for our own waste, and other states can't use New Jersey to distribute their waste. So, this is a facially discriminatory statute, and what that means is that the courts are going to use strict scrutiny. The statute can only survive if it passes strict scrutiny. Well, strict scrutiny means that there needs to be compelling reason, and that compelling reason needs to be enforced by the least restrictive means. So New Jersey argues that their compelling reason is, well, we want the trash for our own use. We don't want to be overrun. Uh, there's health and safety issues when it comes to trash. And so that's the compelling reason that they have. But the court disagrees, and they say that this is, one, not the least restrictive means, but also that uh, the compelling reason is not compelling enough. Uh, the statute is protective. All right? So New Jersey is engaging in protectionism. And that is not a favored, constitutionally valued principle. And again, this is against the idea of national unity, because when New Jersey is an issue, they can still go and engage in this practice with other states. Uh, So, yeah, that's kind of the takeaway. Uh, The big takeaway here is that facially discriminatory statutes are going to be evaluated with strict scrutiny. And the only two main cases that ends up passing strict scrutiny are going to be quarantines and uh, cases that engage in livelihood protection. And that was an issue in Maine v. Taylor. Not really going to get into that, but it was just a fishing stuff where the fishing industry would have been drastically affected, which is Maine's main form of economy at that instance. So our second case here is Westland Creamery, Inc. versus Healy. And the states, again, uh, tried to get around this facially uh, discriminatory statute rule by saying we have a uh, law here. So let's go over what the law is. The law said that they tax all cells... Uh, they, they tax all incoming uh, milk distributors into uh, this state. I can't remember exactly which state it was. But all milk providers are going to be taxed in this state. And then from these tax proceeds, the state is going to go ahead and distribute uh, incentives, or subsidize is a better word, into uh, milk providers within the state. So ultimately what's going to happen here is states do have the power to tax and they do have the power to subsidize. But when you combine the two, it becomes unconstitutional because the subsidy nullifies the tax for in-state producers. So that's another example of how even when you try and get around it, it doesn't really work. And this leads to a couple of other principles that briefly want to talk about. Uh, The first principle is the market participant doctrine. Uh, People are exempt, well states are exempt from the dormant cause doctrine if they are participants in the market. So uh, government entities do engage in business activities. And when they are engaging in those business activities, they can regulate, so to speak, the commerce that comes in and out of the state related to that particular business transaction that is going on. So a good example of this is going to be public universities. Uh, Public universities have different costs for in-state tuition and out-of-state tuition. And the reason why they can have these different costs is because of the market participant doctrine. They are engaging in a market and as a result they can have different costs. The second um, principle that we want to talk about is the Privileges and Immunities Clause of Article 4. Notice this is not uh, Clause uh, Amendment 14, but this is Article 4 of the Constitution. And what this just says is that privileges and immunities, you are not allowed to discriminate against out-of-state citizens. And so it sounds pretty similar to the Uh, It it sounds pretty similar to the Dormant Clause doctrine, but it's different because we end up having more limitations. And it also doesn't engage in strict scrutiny. So if a person is coming and making a claim based off the Privileges and Immunities Clause of Article 4, it's evaluated with substantial... Reasons, meaning the state has to have a substantial reason, and then there's limitations on this too. First, interestingly, the statute must be facially dis uh, discriminatory. The other things to note, as far as the other limitations, is that the statute can't limit. Uh, sorry, it's going to discriminate against citizens. Right? If it discriminates against corporations, this doesn't apply. If the and then the statute needs to target certain fundamental rights, uh, specifically the right to pursue an occupation to so lawyers, for example. Uh, this falls underneath that category where bars, um, the bar exam, uh, certain states can require different levels of passage based off of your exam on the bar uh, test. Uh, second, uh, it can't go against access to the courts. And third, it, a fundamental right is uh, related to the property rights of in- in-state and out-of-state owners. Uh, the final thing to note about this—that's a big difference between the privileges and the, um, privileges and immunities clause and the dormant clause, dormant commerce clause—is that the privileges and immunities clause does not apply to the market participation there's no exception there so this is an analysis that we may do in that's different from the commerce clause okay so that's facially discriminatory statutes let's talk about facially neutral statutes and what happens when statutes are facially neutral but they have an effect on interstate commerce nevertheless our case here is hunt versus washington state apples advertising commission Uh, North Carolina, in this instance, had uh, passed a law saying all apples need to be either USDA grade or have no advertising at all. And Washington was like, well, this isn't cool because our standard is higher. Our labeling is a higher standard than the USDA, but we can't do this at all. So you're forcing us to redo all our packaging, incur higher costs, you're... Uh, then making the value of lesser apples up to the same value as our higher quality apples. So ultimately, what the court says here is that even though it's not discriminatory on its face because it applied to everyone in-state producers, out-of-state producers, it's still discriminatory in effect because North Carolina is engaging in protectionism. So when it's discriminatory neutral, Uh, The courts are going to do a balancing test. They're going to say... They're going to balance the interests of the... Well, let's go ahead and do the next case, and the next case will better outline how the balancing test works. Uh, The next case is Castle versus Consolidated Freightways Court. In this case, Iowa had regulated the length of... Uh, semi-trucks that were passing through Iowa, and Iowa has two major freeways that go through here, I-80 and 235. Uh, And so, ultimately, what happened is Iowa says, we don't want big trucks coming through here. And the court says, no, you have to allow big trucks coming through here. And so this is how the balancing test works. First, you're going to say, is there a protectionist interest? And if there is a protectionist interest, then the state's just gonna lose automatically. Ultimately, we're just asking what is the motive? Why is the state passing this? In this instance, uh, the reason why Iowa passed this law was citing safety. Uh, we, longer trucks end up having more splash, uh, they cause more accidents, and we don't want that happening in Iowa, so we're not gonna have that happen in Iowa. Uh, The second step of the balancing test is to ask, what is the burden on out-of-state participants? So we're asking, what's the burden? And the burden in this case is out-of-state truckers would incur $12.6 million of cost to either revert uh, their path around Iowa, or... Uh, they're going to have to change their whole business structure to only be one truck uh, size instead of going into the longer truck size as well. And then we're going to calculate the cost, sorry, calculate the benefit uh, for in-state participants. This is the third principle, uh, which is the safety measures that I was trying to... uh, say in this case and then the fourth step is just we're going to balance between the two the burden and the benefit to ultimately come to a conclusion Scalia didn't really like this just because he uh, focuses a lot on uh, this is arbitrary and as a result it's not really a good rule because it could be uh, how do you really determine what the benefit is put that into numbers how do you put the cost into numbers and all that kind of stuff and so Scalia doesn't really like this Um, but ultimately it seems uh, to be a working solution uh, that the court has adopted for dozens of state interstate commerce Uh, one other principle to note with this facially neutral doctrine is that there is also a less restrictive analysis Um, what I mean by that is if there is a less restrictive alternative well, then the statute is going to be deemed unconstitutional because there was a better way of doing it. Okay, so what's our takeaways? First takeaway is that if a statute is facially discriminatory, it's going to face strict scrutiny, which just means it needs, the state needs to have a compelling reason for the statute and it needs to enforce it in the least restrictive means. Uh, if it's a facially neutral statute, we're going to apply the balancing test. That's the four-point where we're asking what's the motive, the burden, the benefit, and then we weigh those two uh, to come to a conclusion. And then also wanted to mark uh, note the market participation as an exemption to the Endowment commerce clause. And then we could also do a different analysis for the privileges and immunities uh, as another limitation to state regulation. So that's ultimately uh, how state. Interstate Commerce works, and the Dormant Commerce Clause works. Uh, In our next episode, we'll go ahead and talk about some of the executive powers now. Now, there's one other thing that I want to talk about states. So that'll be the next episode as far as preemption. And then after that, we'll go ahead and hop into executive powers